Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Tonight, the book of Revelation, session 68, the seventh trumpet. Now, I want to give a little disclaimer here. Um, there's, there's a lot going on in the seventh trumpet, way more than we can get done in one session. And so what we're going to do is we're going to be kind of focusing on a number of the aspects of the seventh trumpet through a number of different sessions. And uh, we're actually not going to cover all of those in order here. So it's not like it's this week, next week, and the next week. We're going to cover a lot of the different uh, dynamics related to the seventh trumpet uh, kind of as they come up in the book of Revelation. And uh, one of the things that I'll give a, a little connection point on, for those of you who have been tracking with us, you can remember that we spent a number of sessions on the seven seals, and then we spent a number of sessions on the seven trumpets. Well, this is the seventh trumpet. We never got to it. Uh, we were going through the trumpets, and then we took a little bit of a detour for a number of sessions, really on purpose, because we were covering content in Revelation chapter 11, uh, Revelation 10, and Revelation 11. And that was kind of giving us some of the backdrop of the storyline that's going on uh, that's important for us to see related to the seventh trumpet, the timing of the, the trumpet judgments and, and all those details uh, related to the great tribulation. And so uh, in the chronological order of things, if you guys can remember, there's a, a chronology to the book of Revelation, but you can't go verse by verse, chapter by chapter in a, in a chron uh, chronological way. You really want to think of more of the skeletal structure of the chronological storyline as the seven seals happening in order, followed by the seven trumpets happening in order, and then the seven bowls of wrath happening order in order. And here we are now at the seventh trumpet. So if you've been, you know, kind of paying attention to the seals and trumpets, we just did the fifth and the sixth trumpet. Remember, those were the two really large demonic armies that crept out of the abyss in Revelation chapter 9. Well, now we're in Revelation uh, chapter 11, and we're looking at the seventh trumpet. And uh, so in order, five, six, seven. So that's where we're at. Now, one of the things that I want us to look at uh, and, and just get our heads kind of wrapped around is this seventh trumpet. We covered this already, but just a reminder. The seventh trumpet is also called the third woe. Remember, there were three woes, and they were pretty woeful. Well, here we are on the third one. And those three woes coincide with the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets, okay? It was, it was a couple of sessions back that we covered that. Uh, it was a point that I wanted to make sure that we got because the Holy Spirit highlighted these three judgments uh, together in a real um, powerful way, calling them woes, the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets. So this seventh trumpet is the third woe. And the reason that we can identify it as a woe and we can link it with the other two, just another point of reminder, the previous two woes were giant armies doing great destruction in the earth. The fifth and the sixth trumpet, which were the first and the second woe, they were giant armies that were doing terrible destructive uh, uh, things across the earth. And now we're looking at the third woe, and it's another army. It's the army that Jesus is leading also doing destruction in the earth, but it's finally attacking the bad guys instead of the bad guys being the ones that are uh, leading the armies. And so this 
Third woe, just kind of getting us back into the, the swing of things here. Revelation eleven fourteen, 14, uh, bottom of the page on page one, middle to the bottom. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon, referring to this seventh trumpet and the army that Jesus is going to be leading out of heaven. Well, just as a, uh, just a, a quick summary, if you're trying to pick, get a, in your head, okay, if the, if the fifth trumpet is the demon locust army, and it is, and the sixth trumpet is the demonic horseman army, and it is, what's this seventh trumpet? Give me kind of a phrase. What's happening here? Well, it's Christ's army, but really even more focused than that, Revelation eleven fifteen tells us what's going on. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, seventh trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, this is if you need a summary statement of what the, uh, the seventh trumpet's all about, what these voices are saying, their commentary about the seventh trumpet is this, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The summary statement about the seventh trumpet is, now the kingdom of the world, now in physical order, in authoritative structure, belongs to Jesus. It was always promised to him. He was always Lord of Lords, but he wasn't acting as Lord of Lords on the earth. That moment had not yet been realized. Now, it's saying now, this seventh trumpet is blown. Now the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. That's what's going on in the seventh trumpet. This is an epic moment for the church, for human history, for the kingdom of heaven, for the proud father of his victorious son. This is a powerful moment. The seventh trumpet is the moment that the kingdom of the world belongs to Christ in a realized way, all right? The mystery of God will be accomplished is another one of those great phrases here helping us to interpret the seventh trumpet. Revelation 10, verse 7, top of page 2, says this, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, so again, related to the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. Related to the timing of the seventh trumpet, the statement is made, all of the mystery of God that's related to the seventh trumpet, all the things that were prerequisites that had to happen before Jesus come back, uh, comes back, these things will be accomplished and the mystery of God will be made known in the earth. The greatest mystery of God is that God is, Christ is hidden in heaven in God, right now, the majority of the earth does not even realize, there's no understanding that there is a Christ in heaven who's actually in charge of the planet. The mystery of God will be made known. That which has been hidden to most of mankind has not been perceived. Even when Jesus was here on the earth first round, most of Israel and therefore most of the planet had no idea he was here. It's a mystery that he would allow the, the greatest man, the most important person, his son, to be so veiled and mysterious and hidden, but the mystery of God will be made known. And in the hour, right before the seventh trumpet comes, the mystery of God will be made known, and then Jesus comes and rules the earth. All right. Well, let's read Revelation 11, 14 through 19, because this is the primary seventh trumpet passage. It's not the only. We'll look at a few more in a minute. But I want to give us the primary. When we talk about the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet, 
Where are we looking? What is our, te our text, our, our context? It is Revelation 11, 14 through 19. It says this, the second woe is past and the third woe is coming soon. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. There's never been a time that Christ was reigning on the earth. That's never happened before. He has never reigned on the earth. Even when he came the first time, he was not reigning. And it's part of the reason all the disciples mistook him and they, couldn't, they didn't know what to do with him. It's part of the reason the Pharisees of the day didn't know what to do with the Messiah. Because he wasn't Messiah-ing. He wasn't doing the thing that they knew he was going to come and do, and that is reign. He wasn't reigning. He was doing miracles, but he was not ruling and reigning. He was not kicking Rome's butt, which is very much what Israel wanted the Messiah to do in that hour. It wasn't time. It wasn't yet time for him to reign, but the time is coming where he will reign forever and ever. It's at the seventh trumpet. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and they worshiped God saying, this is, they are for real. You know why the elders fall down before the throne? Because they see God. That's what we were told in Revelation 4 and in Revelation 5. They keep falling down before the, the Lamb in heaven because they're seeing Him as God. But now they're seeing Him as God, not in heaven. They're seeing Him as God and as ruler on the earth. And they do the same thing. They fall down on their faces and they worship just like they do in heaven when they see the Lamb on the throne. Now they're seeing the Lamb come like a lion and rule and reign on the earth. And they worship. Same Jesus. Same reality. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come, because you have taken your great power and you've begun to reign. You finally did it. You finally started. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and, for, uh, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, for, the dis for destroying those who destroy the earth has come. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within the temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. This is the passage about the seventh trumpet. So when we're looking at it in its context, specific to what is being emphasized, there are some points that are being um, really highlighted about the seventh trumpet, about this reality. It's that Jesus is coming to rule and reign. It's that it's time for three different things that we'll look at here, uh, here in a minute. It's the, the worshipfulness of this reality. It's not, this is not just a judgment thing. This is not just when the music really picks up and the drums get really loud in the, in the, uh, mu in the movie. This is now also a very worshipful moment where the, the 24 elders who have perfect understanding, they're standing before the throne all the, day, all the days of their life, they fall down in worship and they go, it is finally time. The wrath of man has come now, the wrath of God has come, and the reign of Christ has come. These things are all related. All right, well, let's look at a few other key scriptures about the seventh trumpet. These will look more familiar to you. These will be ones that you are uh, probably go, oh yeah, I've heard that one before, I've read that. But I wanted to give us the primary first. So remember, when we're talking seventh trumpet, the primary biblical passage is Revelation 11, 14 through 19. We just read it. But here are some other passages. Jesus talked about it. The Apostle Paul talked about it. Let's look what Jesus had to say in Matthew 24, 31. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. 
and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. The loud trumpet call. Now, it's not just a loud trumpet call. It's the loud trumpet call connected to the rapture. It's the loud trumpet call related to what it says here, the elect being gathered from the earth, okay? Well, that's not just any old trumpet. That's not just some weird trumpet. It's the seventh trumpet. It's the trumpet when Jesus comes. It's the trumpet when he makes the earth his occupied, you know, a place of established government and, and authority. That's the trumpet. Well, let's keep going because Paul gives us even more clarity about where this fits into the storyline. I'm now looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Okay, so the Lord coming down from heaven. That's Jesus' return, all right? Well, but we, didn't we just read in Revelation uh, 11 about the seventh trumpet? That that's when he starts to rule and reign. Says here, the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The trumpet call of God is related to the coming of Christ, it's related to the rapture of the church. Here we go. Uh, now, this is Paul talking not to Thessalonica, but now he's talking to Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52. The Corinthians, by the way, got the most information about the second coming, about what things would look like, especially from our perspective, about the resurrected body, about the rapture, about what occurs, about the chronology of events. I mean, you go and read Revela I'm sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and you will get an earful and an eyeful. You will see plenty of details about the second coming. And here we go, Paul giving us even greater insight here. He clarifies which trumpet in the series of trumpets it is that this rapture thing occurs at. He says this, listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. This is about the last trumpet, about the seventh trumpet. So just to get the clarity, Jesus talked about it. Paul talked about it to the Corinthians. He talked about it to the Thessalonians. And of course, John got to see the whole thing unfold in Revelation chapter 11. The last trumpet is when Jesus breaks in and establishes his kingdom on the earth. And he does so with the, la with the trumpet call of God that brings forth the dead and, uh, and raises the elect that are they're all in the earth alive at that point. To meet him in the air, we get resurrected bodies and now we become God's army to come back and help him do a hostile takeover of the earth. Okay, that's the storyline of the trumpets. If you really want to know what the trumpets are leading up to, trumpet one, trumpet two, tr it's all leading up to the seventh trumpet, which is the most epic moment that has been long awaited on the earth and the saints in heaven by the four living creatures, the 24 elders, the Father and Jesus himself have been awaiting the seventh trumpet when finally the kingdom of the earth has become the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all leading up to. Let's look at some of the key elements from this last trumpet. Now, again, this is a very detailed reality. I mean, to put it like just straight up, this is the biggest moment in human history. This is the most anticipated moment. It's the most talked about moment in the Gospels and the most talked about moment in the New Testament, the most anticipated moment throughout Old Testament prophecy. It's the coming of the Messiah. 
It's the coming of Jesus to rule the earth. So yes, of course it's layered. Of course there's too many details to talk about in one session. And so I just want to make that really clear. There's a lot we're not covering tonight. A lot, a lot. We're covering only a little bit of a little bit. And it's because it's so nuanced and layered and beautiful. The storyline is phenomenal. And we've covered some of it in, in past sessions. And we'll cover more as we get to it. I just want to give us kind of an overview tonight, specifically approaching the subject of the return of Christ through the lens of it is the seventh trumpet. So it's a lot of other things too, but we're talking about it from the standpoint of it is the seventh trumpet. So I want us to kind of get narrow on that point. Jesus appears in the sky with great glory. I gave you some verses there. That's a, these are, uh, what is occurring at the seventh trumpet? The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. This is, the, the armies of, of heaven are following Jesus out of heaven and to the earth. And then even more armies are resurrected and brought up to meet him in the air. The dead in Christ all raised to life. Now, I want to talk about that for a second. The dead in Christ. So if you've got a friend or a relative, many of us do, that gave their life to the Lord, walked with them all their days, loved them, and graduated. They died, and their spirit is with the Lord in heaven. Whether that was you and your friend or your you know, uh, loved one in this generation, or it was a previous generation, or it was some of the saints that we read about in the New Testament, all the dead in Christ will rise together. You just think about what that really means related to the family of God that transcends time. All the saints will rise together that have died. They'll all be treated the same in that moment regardless of what year they were born in or died in. They will be brought together, marching together with Jesus. All the dead in Christ will rise. I gave you a couple of verses there. We'll read one or two of them. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So before any of us that are alive on the earth in that hour, before we resurrect, or rather before we're given a resurrected body, before we're taken up, first, we're going to watch all of human history empty out those that loved the Lord, and they will rise first. That is a really powerful thing. It will also scare the bejeebus out of all of the wicked in the earth. My goodness, they will not know what to do with that moment. They will be looking at people coming up out of the grave. They will be looking at people ascending into the sky, a giant mass of people into the air, that's a terrifying idea. All right? Well, then the rapture of the church takes place. And the reason I'm, I'm making this point distinct, same as Paul just did, he said, I tell you, those who are of us who are still alive, when the Lord comes, we will not precede those that have fallen asleep. Meaning, we will not get a resurrected body before those that have died get a resurrected body. Oh, but believe me, we will get a resurrected body. And here we go, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, after that, we who are still alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So when this seventh trumpet happens, first, the resurrection of the dead, 
Then the rapture of the church, we will be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air. Do you know when we meet the Lord, we don't meet him in heaven. We meet him in the air. That's what it says. So there is no rapture of the church to heaven. That doesn't happen. We rapture of the church into the air because Jesus is coming. So we're actually meeting him like halfway. You ever, you know, growing up, tell your friend to come over and then say, hey, I'll meet you halfway. And you know, you walk down the street. That way you can have even the, the extra little, you know, block or two to be with him on the way to the house. Jesus, he said, you know what? I'm coming, but I want you guys to meet me halfway. Well, I don't know. It's probably not halfway. I want you to meet me in the air. How about that? And then we got some business to do. We got some stuff to do. We're going to make a few laps around the earth and the sky. And then we're going to come down on the earth and we got some stuff to do there too. So this is Jesus in great kindness and in display. You know, what this statement means when you got all these people raptured up in the earth, what this statement means is heaven is doing a hostile takeover of your planet. Congratulations, business as usual is over. And there's a new sheriff in town. And he does things a little different. When he comes, he raptures everybody. And they all meet him up in the air and fly. This is how this king rules. So whatever king you had a minute ago, planet Earth, get ready for a new regime. This is a hostile takeover of the systems of the earth. That's what's happening. Also, another point that's uh, helpful for us, especially as we're in the, the uh, chronological uh, storyline of the seals, trumpets, and bowls, this seventh trumpet initiates the bowls of wrath. This seventh trumpet kicks off the next judgment series, the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Read you a couple verses here. Revelation 11, 15 through 18. The seventh, trump, uh, the, the seventh angel was about to sound his trumpet, and there were loud voices from heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He'll reign forever and ever. You've taken your great power and you've begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. Isn't it interesting that the coming of Jesus in the sky is described as the wrath of God coming? That's an interesting point. Well, Revelation 16.1 says... Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth because now it's time for his wrath to come. We were just told that in Revelation chapter 11 in relationship to Jesus appearing in the sky. Your wrath has come. It's time for the bowls of wrath to accompany him. And so when the seventh trumpet happens, that establishes a series of events. It's not immediate. There's actually some things that happened in the temple of heaven that we read about uh, in our last session. But there's some things that transpire that now kick off the seven bowls of wrath being poured out actually in conjunction with Jesus' coming. One more way to say new sheriff in town. One more way to say, oh yeah, by the way, my army is indestructible. Remember Paul said, we will be raised imperishable. We just read that verse a minute ago. You know what happens when you have an army that's imperishable? Oh, you kick butt and take names in a serious way. In fact, you can go ahead and be Jesus and go, you know what? Just go ahead and let the bowls of wrath pour out too because my guys will be fine. The team behind me, we're all good. We got resurrected bodies. We are imperishable. Pour out angels. Go ahead. Let's pour out all the wrath of God on the earth because the team behind me, the family of God, men and women, old and young, they are with me and they are raised imperishable. What? I mean, the thought process. The, no one could make this story but God. No one could even think up the drama. 
of this. This is so intense. All right, let's talk a little bit about the establishment of the kingdom because that's really the point of uh, the seventh trumpet. The real point is it's now time to establish the kingdom. So let's look here. The kingdom come. The most prayed prayer in human history. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. To the fullness of what that means, it's finally time. It's finally now fullness for the Lord's prayer to be answered. Let your kingdom come. Because it says it there. I mean, just think about the language of you know, the Matthew prayer. Let your kingdom come. Well, here it is. Revelation eleven fifteen. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. I mean, that is exactly the answer to the prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Boom, here it is. You can just see him going, I got you. Revelation eleven fifteen. I'm going to answer that prayer to its fullness. Now, I'll tell you this. I am grateful for every half-answered prayer, every 100th-answered prayer. I am, I am so thankful for the Lord to answer even pieces of prayers, parts of prayers. Sometimes we pray for stuff, and we have absolutely no idea what we are asking for. And if the Lord did with the fullness of what we were asking for, everybody just die. I mean, it would be too intense. We have no understanding. So the Lord in his wisdom even filters our prayers. So even as we've been praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. He's like, okay, I will, but it's on a time delay if we're talking about the fullness. Now, when you pray, let your kingdom come, you mean bring revival to Arlington. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm closer on that one. But if you mean let your kingdom come, Revelation eleven fifteen, let my kingdom come, I will, but I've got to time it. All right, Christ begins to reign. Revelation 2, 26 through 27 uh, talks about this a little bit. You've taken your great power and begun to reign was the eleven seventeen. But let's go back to Revelation 2 here. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. Check this out. Jesus, in such normal Jesus fashion, wants to share his lunch with us. Jesus just wants to share whatever he's got. It just so happens this time what he's got is total authority over the nations. What he wants to do when he comes and rules and reigns, he actually wants to impart authority to the saints to rule with him. Think about how lonely it would be if Jesus was ruling. It's just not the way that he does it. He's all about partnership. He's all about the body of Christ. He's all about the bride serving as an equally yoked partner at his side, helping him do stuff. Think about how lonely it would be if he had to do all this all by himself. He won't. He loves partnership. By the way, just as a little uh, lead in to a probable future session and, and other points of discussion. This is why you really want to live righteous in this age. You can love God and not really press in for holiness, not really press in for a righteous life, and you will still go to heaven at the end of this thing, but you will not receive authority over the nations. That is not given to everybody. That's given for those that walk closely with him. This is one of those motivations that he has written into the storyline to cause our hearts that are redeemed by him, and we've got the Holy Spirit in there, to cause the Holy Spirit within us to groan for the things of heaven in this age, to call our sin, sin, to call it unacceptable to live in compromise, to cause our hearts to reach for greater measures of intimacy and friendship and nearness and righteousness with him in this age. And he says, oh, well, if you're going to reach for intimacy, righteousness, and friendship in this age, I will reward you not only in this age, but in the age to come. I will impart to you authority to rule the nations with me. 
that is pretty intense. Well, what else about this establishment of the kingdom? Well, you know, it's really interesting. When you try to establish a kingdom, when there's already a really strong kingdom right there where you're trying to establish yours. Let's remember the storyline of the Antichrist who has got complete control, complete's a little exaggerated, but it's not so exaggerated. It's pretty close. He has got, I mean, you're just better off to say complete than say significant because significant control just doesn't cut it. It's, it's way, way more than significant control, but it's a little shy of complete control of the earth. All right? Satan is already ruling the earth as a king. He's already ruling the earth under the governance of an empire under his leadership. So we need to understand something. When it says, now the kingdom of the world, which in parentheses, which currently belongs to the Antichrist, now the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and it is Christ. We are talking about a hostile takeover of a governmental system. We're talking about war. We're talking about the break-in of, of authority, of a new authority structure in a previously established system. This is a really big deal. What happens when the kingdom is established? Satan loses his authority. Satan loses his authority. I gave you, this, I gave you a few verses in Daniel 7. Read the others later. But this first one, the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever talking about the antichrist and then the sovereignty power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints the people of the most high his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him you're talking about satan's kingdom being taken over and his authority being taken from him and there being a transference of power such as we have never seen or experienced the likes of in the history of humanity. There's never been anything like this. There's never been someone so strong with such a hold on a nation on the earth and his power be taken so effortlessly by someone so much stronger. I mean, it's just, it is unbelievable what's about to occur. Then Christ restarts his kingdom on the earth. I'll just say this, related to the kingdom of the, of the Lord becoming the kingdom uh, on the earth. This is one point that you want to understand. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission. In this age, we have some significant limitations, mostly related to the fact that we're human. We have significant limitations related to the limitations of what you can do, say, understand, and accomplish in a lifetime. But here's what the command of the Lord is related to the nations. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. You know, the best discipler in the history of ever has not probably taught well or at all half of what Jesus commanded. I mean, it just takes so much effort. Because the objective isn't that you teach them, it's that you... You actually disciple them into those realities. I mean, the best teachers throughout history have done a subpar job of accomplishing the Great Commission. But do you know when it's going to actually happen in fullness? When Jesus is in charge of Jesus' commission on the earth. And now Jesus is discipling the nations 
instructing them to obey everything that he commanded. He's really good at communication. He's really good at infrastructure. He's really good at application. He's really good at follow-up. He's really good at justice and order. He's really, really good at this. So the final reality of Jesus establishing his kingdom in the age to come, in the millennial kingdom, is when Jesus is fully discipling the earth into the Great Commission that he actually got everybody started on at his first coming. He's now going to make reality at his second coming. So when we talk about the kingdom of the earth, now belongs to Jesus for real. Let me tell you what's on Jesus' object uh, on his mind. Hey, remember that Great Commission thing? Let's for real do it. Let's do it 100%. I actually have got some ideas. I've been thinking about it. Been upstairs for a while talking with the Father. We've got some ideas on how to make the Great Commission reality in the earth after Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth. All right, last point we'll make here. And then we'll break up into discussion groups. The threefold time has come. I think that this, if you want to get it, this is the significant emphasis of, okay, I said that the, the, uh, the, the summary statement of what is the seventh trumpet, the summary statement is Jesus is establishing his kingdom on the earth. All right? Well, now if you want to know how's he doing that, what is his plan, what is his strategy this would give you a pretty significant starting point on what that looks like. Revelation eleven eighteen. Again, I gave you just kind of an excerpt here. The time has come for judging, rewarding, and destroying. That's what Jesus is coming to do. Revelation eleven eighteen. The time has come for judging, rewarding, and destroying. That's sort of the action plan for how to establish his kingdom on the earth. Judge, reward, and destroy. Yeah, it's so intense. All right, well, let's look at a, a little bit of this. The first is to judge. This is specific. Not, uh, uh, this is a, a specific judgment related to every person having to give an account of their life and all the wicked being sentenced in a way that is uh, very real. Let's remember, Christ is the great washer of sins, but without that washer of sins, Every evil deed a person has ever done is still on their account. He is a good accountant. And when it comes time to judging, you really, 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 really want the decision. I gave my life to Jesus, and I let him wash my sins clean, and then I lived in that reality. And when I sinned again, I went back to him and said, oh, God, forgive my sins. You really want that to be the assessment when the judge comes. Because otherwise... Whatever sins you've done are still on your account. And he's coming to judge. So intense. All right, he's coming to reward. This is the second piece of this, uh, of this judgment. It's not just judge bad, it's judge good. He's coming to reward. I gave you that uh, concept a minute ago about the things that we do in this age He's paying attention. He's watching to see how we respond, how we give ourselves to him in, in specific devotion, in wholehearted love, in, in obedience, in repentance. He's watching to see if we operate in humility and in meekness and, and in forgiving. He's watching. He says he's coming to reward. He's been paying attention. He's an excellent accountant. He's watched you every time you forgave that person that did you wrong again and again and again. He's paying attention. He is rewarding you for every cold glass of water given to someone in need. 
Every act of love that was done for his sake. Every time you did something, you went, I don't really want to do this, but I'll do it for you. I'm not really sure I'll do it for them, but I'll do it for you, for them. He says, I see it. The time has come for rewarding. You know, one of the ways that he establishes his kingdom, it's not just doing away with the bad. It's establishing the good. And he is going to establish the good by rewarding those who have diligently sought him. I gave you a bunch of verses there, but just a couple of them, uh, just one more that we haven't looked at recently. Revelation 22, verse 12, middle of page 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Revelation uh, uh, 11, seventh trumpet, I'm coming soon. Okay, cool. What happens when you come soon? My reward is with me. When I come, I'm about judging, rewarding, and destroying. When I come, my reward is with me. Yeah, I won't have to go get my reward. I won't have to go look for it. When I come with my kingdom, I establish my kingdom, my reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Friends, we want to get a vision of our life, a vision of how we think, how we talk, how we treat people, how we respond to mistreatment, how we live our lives, how we think about our time and our money. We really want to get a view of it, of Jesus, happy as a lark, coming in the sky with his reward with him. And he's saying, I can't wait. I saw you down there. My reward is with me. I will give to every one of you according to what you did. I have been watching. I must wonder if this verse is where we got Santa Claus. I mean, I just wonder if this idea that he knows you when you're sleeping. I wonder. We're looking right at this verse, and it's this verse describes the reality of how the Father operates and what's in Jesus' heart when he comes. My reward is with me. And lastly, he comes to destroy. You remember, they look up and they see Jesus coming and they're filled with terror. Remember in the Revelation 11 passage that we read just a minute ago? It's talking about they, uh, the picture is the time for the wrath of God has come. Well, part of what Jesus is doing, not just in the bowls. The bowls are, are what come with him. Not just the bowls, in the seals and the trumpets, really in the whole last generation. Part of what's coming is he is destroying a system that is being raised up in order to be able to establish a new system and completely wipe out the old system. But I just want to give you real quickly when it says, now the time of the, you know, of the kingdom has come and it's come, uh, his uh, establishment of the kingdom, he is coming to, uh, to judge, to reward, and to destroy. I just want to tell you a significant part of that destroy not all of it, but a significant part of that destroy is the seven bowls of wrath, which will decimate the earth. I mean, will just destroy in the most crazy ways, turning everything to blood, uh, scorching people with fire. The, the last bowl says this, every island fled away and the mountains couldn't be found. And from the sky, huge hailstones weighing about 100 pounds each fell on humans. This is destroy. When Jesus comes, he's coming to judge, reward, and to destroy. And we want to look at the seventh trumpet, the return of Jesus, in light of the establishment of the kingdom and the battle action plan, judge, reward, destroy, as his methodology to establish that kingdom. Amen.
All right, so at this point now, let's break up into groups. Luke, how many groups we got tonight? And what we're going to do, uh, as always, is I'll repeat the questions so that those that are watching or those that listen to the recording later uh, can uh, know the question that you asked. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll start uh, back here with Luke. Luke, what's you, uh, your group question? Great question. Okay, so the, uh, the question is, so when Jesus comes back and it's now time for him to judge, reward, and destroy, that reward component, what does the rewarding uh, uh, time frame look like as far as like, so if Jesus says, okay, this is one of your rewards, when do you get it? What does that look like? How does that happen in the sky? That kind of thing. So great question, great technical question. All right, so first of all, um, the, the entirety of what Jesus is doing related to the end times is all about process, never about all of it happening in a second. Nothing. There's no part of what he's going to do that happens in a second. It's always process. Uh, but that's how the created order is. That's what he does. So when he says, now is the time, you could even add to start rewarding, uh, there is now the beginning of that. The first reward occurs with the resurrection. I mean, that's the very beginning of the reward because every subsequent reward will be tied to that resurrected body and that resurrected reality. And so the beginning of the reward is actually that we get uh, brought up uh, into the air. Now, what does it look like when Jesus is marching to the earth to take it over, and all of a sudden Luke Fredenberg gets raptured and he appears in the sky, and Luke's like, where's my reward? Jesus, stop. Stop the procession. I want my reward. You said it was time. I, that's not what's happening there, okay? The, the reward uh, does not uh, occur in the like, you're given your bag of goodies and Jesus shows you your room in heaven uh, in that moment. However, I think that the very fact of the resurrection, when you get a resurrected body, you also get a resurrected mind. And I think even the beginning of the nuances of the understanding of the activities that you had on the earth and the value system of heaven, the way Jesus saw those activities, I think already starts to give you a tip off of what's coming. I think you start to, you're, you're entering into, now when do the actual appointments and positions, allotment of your space in, uh, in uh, the New Jerusalem, the other rewards, when do those things happen? They, they don't happen until after the battle and, and, and there's a good amount of things that actually occur. I think the timing of that most uh, specifically occurs during the 45 days uh, that happens after the bowls of wrath um, are done being poured out. So uh, we won't get into that tonight because we're going to spend a session covering that uh, in, some, in a future week. Uh, we're going to touch on, on that period. But most specifically, the allotment of the reward, I think, occurs in the time frame near the wedding supper of the Lamb and some of those other uh, things that are going to occur. Um, so a great question. Great question. Um, okay, let's go over here. Yeah, great question. Um, okay, so the uh, Jesus comes back, and let's remember that's a judgment. 
Jesus returning to the planet is the seventh trumpet. It's one of the judgments of God on humanity. It's one of the judgments on the earth. And maybe even the most pointed, most, you know, important judgment. So the question is, so people see Jesus coming back and they're seeing people get raptured. At that point, can you repent and give your life to Jesus? No. Well, there's a caveat. You've got a group of people that have taken the mark of the beast at that point. And of that group of people, it says they are so in love with Antichrist, they will never repent. Of their own choosing, they will not repent. They won't do it no matter what you do. They won't give their life to Jesus. They will not repent. They have given their life to another already. That group of people will not repent. Now, you've also got another group of people. Remember earlier I was telling you guys about Jesus is going to disciple all the nations and he's going to do the greatest, uh, great commission to its fullness. Who's he going to do that with? The people that have taken the mark of the beast, no, they all die. The people that have got resurrected bodies, no, they've got resurrected bodies. And the concept of discipleship looks very, 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 very different uh, in that context. So who is it? It's the resistors. It's those that didn't take the mark of the beast and they did not, take the, uh, and they did not receive Jesus. They will be repenting. That group will be repenting all throughout the Great Tribulation and into the millennium. So that group of people still could repent. But anybody that has taken the mark of the beast and has gone into the, the way of the hour, which will be the majority of the planet, we need to be real clear on this. We're not talking about 50% go with Jesus, 50% go with the devil. We're talking about 90% or something, 80% go with the Antichrist and a small number hold to the truth and, and follow Jesus all the way to the end. And then a micro number, I mean, probably some millions. When you're talking about a human population right now of 8 billion people, a few million people, I don't know the number, I'm just making it up, but it'll be small. Whatever that number is, if it's even a few million, that is such a small number of population when you're talking about the overall ratio of the earth. That group of people, they can give their life to Jesus at any point because they've not given their life to the Antichrist. And the whole reason for the entire storyline is to draw people to Jesus. So whether you're, if you're a resistor, don't be, by the way, give your life to Jesus tonight. Amen. Uh, but if you're a resistor and, you've, and you're, you make it all the way to that point, you haven't died miraculously, you didn't take the mark of the beast, and you've also refused to give your life to Jesus, you're going to be seeing these different events and your heart is going to be pricked at various points to give your life to the Lord. And, and that's very much a part of the process. So great question. Okay. But again, the majority is going to have taken the mark of the beast and they can't repent. They won't. They, they, they refuse to repent is what it says. They refuse to repent is the language. Just so we can get the biblical language. They themselves refuse to repent. So whether they can or can't is a non-issue it says of all of them, they refuse the thought process of repentance, okay? And that'll be the majority of the earth. All right, uh, Andy, let's go with you. process all right so uh, let me restate the question and you see how you like it um, so uh, we just got done with the teaching on the seventh trumpet being the return of Jesus and that that's when the rapture happens and that's when the kingdom is established and it happens at the seventh trumpet uh, but there are people that 
don't think that that's the way that it's going to go. Uh, why do they think that? And what do they do with all these different verses that we just read? Well, uh, in, in my experience, when you're talking to somebody that believes in a pre-tribulation rapture, so what they believe is before all the bad judgments happen, God is going to rapture the church ahead of time and the church won't be here for when all the judgments happen. And when any of the, the bad stuff happens, Jesus will have already raptured the church. In my opinion, it, it is a, a highly unfounded in scripture stance to take now what it is highly founded in is human sentiment jesus is nice why would he let us be here when bad things are happening doesn't he like us that's the main premise and then bible verses are sought out to support that by that that thought process well i get that it's just not what the scriptures teach and so the, the thought process, actually, if you're having a conversation with someone who, is, uh, who holds to a pre-tribulation rapture theory, I want you to ask them one question. Show me one Bible verse that says it, and they can't do it. And any Bible verse that they kind of point to, you read it in the context, and it normally says the exact opposite of what they're saying. And so, uh, so just ask them for Bible verses, which is a great way for us to live our lives, by the way. When anybody's saying anything, show me Bible verses. Oh, well, I think I feel the pastor said. Who cares what you think, what you feel, or what the pastor says? Who cares? Show me in the Bible what it says. That, I'm not banking on what your pastor taught you on how I'm going to get to heaven. <laughs> I'm banking on what the Word of God says. And that's how I know life and godliness and the way. And that's, so I'm not banking it on human emotion or the video you know, that you watched online or whatever. I'm banking it on the Bible. So that's a way that, no, we don't want to be feisty. We want to be sweet about it. But you need to not believe things that you can't see in the Bible with your own eyes. That's just an important way to, to live and process. All right, John. Yeah, all right, well, let's actually go to the passage because uh, you said uh, uh, the, you're referring to Philippians 2, verse 9 and following, about every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Uh, so the question is, how does that relate to free will of a resistor in the millennium? Man, you better be tracking because I just use a bunch of big words, right? All right, how does that relate? To, how does Philippians 2, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, relate to a resistor in the millennium under Jesus' leadership? Do they have a choice? Because it says every knee will bow. How, how does that work? Well, let's actually read Philippians 2 to see how it reads because I think it gives us some uh, keys onto what's happening there. Revelation 2, ver I'm sorry, Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. Talking about Jesus. And he gave him the name that is above every name. Now I want us to understand what's a, what we're about to read is the reality of who Jesus is, past, present, future, but there are going to be specific time periods where Jesus is interacting with the earth and interacting with people differently. For instance, Jesus interacts with the earth very differently during the seals and the trumpets than he does during the millennium. Same Jesus, but he's interacting differently. Okay, So it's important that we understand that. All right, 
He gave him the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, one thing we're sure of, in the criteria of who it is that's going to be confessing, you've got people heaven, people on earth, and people in the earth, dead people. But it says every dead person. Well, there's a whole lot of wicked Hitlers out there that do not know Jesus and do not love Jesus. So this subject of confessing Jesus is Lord has nothing to do with salvation. That is not what's occurring here. That is not the statement. This is talking about he's the king and everybody's going to own up to that fact eventually. Everyone will admit you're the king. And everyone will bow before him. And it won't be about whether you decide to serve him or not. You just think about when an army comes in and takes over another kingdom. And they walk into the palace. And they walk up. The, the, the leader of the army walks up and he, puts, he makes the king get down on the ground. And he puts his foot on his neck. He says, now, say, whoever is now the king. Okay? There's a lot of, like, submission, whether you like it or not, that's going to happen here. Now, that's not how he's governed and how he's interacted with the human race in this age. But a time is coming where Mr. Nice Guy is going to say, listen, it's time now. I gave you all a chance. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. But it's not just the people on the earth during the millennium. It's everyone that's ever existed will admit you are from the Father, you are right, you are good, and you are true, whether we worshiped you or not. So some people are going to be confessing, like you and me, <laughs> you're awesome, and we'll get down on our knees, we'll roll around, we'll do whatever. But there's some that are going to do it by force, and there's some that are going to do it just in such deep agony and shame. I imagine there'll be so many that collapse at his presence in recognition, think about the, uh, uh, the story uh, of the rich young ruler, and he's, he's, just, he's in hell, and he's saying, oh, I wish I, you, you're God. I was wrong. <laughs> Would you just send somebody for my brothers? And the answer is no. That period has passed. That period of mercy for you is over, but I'm glad that you recognize that God is God. There's going to be a lot of that going on. All right, worship leader, you can come on up. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.